everybody. No, I can. We, welcome to Slip Everybody. See, now, like you said that you weren't going to do an introduction, and now you here you are. Well, I didn't know you were starting to record. This is this is perfect. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to Slip Angle. I'm Abram Schmucker, and uh, I've got Adam on the line. Happy Saturday. Hey, everybody. We've also got Andrew Hayes, uh, who I met at NOLA. Hey, everybody. Hey, man. So, uh, yeah, and I met Andrew in the busy, crazy weekend of NOLA, uh, and uh, I believe he's a casual listener, and he also has a interesting GPS product. So, um, and he was – I think you were driving in, what, advanced with us? Uh, so – Noah was actually my first time doing Time Attack with you guys. Oh, you were with Time Attack. Okay, I can't remember. Everything blurred together that weekend. I literally <laughs> don't. I don't remember that weekend at all. Yeah, that was a pretty crazy event. Yeah, uh, the the busyness of that event really stemmed back to the fact that the the PA system was like inaccessible because the only place you could talk was literally half a mile down down track at the tower right uh, and uh, and i couldn't talk to the, the cart paddock which is where everybody had to be <laughs> so, right yeah, well, and be- then there's the whole like fema thing all the fema trucks coming in and out yeah that, that was why everybody had to be there is because at night there was a gajillion electrical contractor like f-650s and stuff <laughs> so yeah, I think they parked 400 or 500 uh, trucks there every night. That was insane. So. Yeah, and then they all rolled out in the morning and rolled back in at night. Yeah, yeah, what a busy place that was. But at least, yeah. at least it happened. Uh, yeah, they were post-hurricane, and they were trying to turn New Orleans back on right. um, electrically. So uh, I believe you were driving, what, a E46 BMW? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so what's your uh, what's your little uh, what's your little side hustle the the GPS thing? You want to tell us about that? Yeah, so probably a good place to start is like the website is hazeeng.com, so h a z e e n g.com. Um, so I started making this I, I got the idea for this years ago. So I used to work at Cobb Tuning and you know, I was doing track events and I was even starting to instruct some people and I, you know, I use uh, Harry's lap timer on my phone and I'm guessing most people listening to this have, you know, either heard of or tried one of the track apps on your phone. Yeah. Harry's is super common, super popular. Right. Right. And one of the frustrating, one of the frustrating things about it is that the, uh, the GPS on your phone runs at one Hertz. So it gets a location fix one time a second. And if you go and look at uh, your lap, your lap, Afterward, I mean, the, the times are pretty accurate, but if you're trying to figure out, okay, you know, how fat, you know, what line did I take? And then you're looking at the app, you're kind of like, yeah, especially on older phones, it's like, okay, the app says I went through a building, out into the grass, and then back on track. No, that's not <laughs> quite it, you know. And even with some of the newer phones that are, you know, the phones are getting more accurate, but they're still one hertz. So it's like, okay, at high speeds, it's like, okay, I here's the beginning of the turn somewhere in the middle and here's the exit of the turn so you can't really get much out of it so i was like all right i'm on gps and then i looked at some of the options out there and you know people are taping them to their dash or they're just like <laughs> there's you know plenty of videos out there even where the gps is just sliding around on their dashboard right really yeah, a little, little like two inch by two inch brick just bouncing around the car yeah. right and so it's like, okay well i mean they do that so they can put the antenna out and you know, get better reception. So like, well, what if I just 
made something with a remote antenna. And so I can actually do some show and tell here. Uh, and so Andrew, show and tell is great for radio, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but at least you guys can kind of see. And then if I'm missing any bits, you can kind of fill in the blanks for people. Uh, but so in my hands is a cardboard box and it has kind of a breadboard and some stuff zip tied together. Uh, this was kind of the first, I guess really second proof of concept, but I put that together for, uh, you know, just a little informal track day with, you know, a bunch of friends at Cobb and uh, he said like, Oh, Hey, this works. And you could actually like, you know, 18, 20 Hertz, you can actually see the exact line you took. Yeah, and then the, and then the best part is that uh, the phone can actually get all the accelerometer data and stuff faster. It just doesn't log it because the GPS on it is so slow. It only logs everything with a location fix. So you give it a faster GPS and then it's like, oh my gosh, like you can exactly see, you can see exactly how you're breaking into that turn. Uh, you know, you can see how you're cornering things like you can even see bumps on the track in your phone data. So, so you're basically running that that's uh, 18 to 20. You said that's, that's pretty like industry standard for high end um, data logger stuff too. So. Yeah. It was actually got funny. I was, uh, there was a group on Facebook. I was just kind of trying to spread awareness about this. Like, Hey, I did a thing. And then one guy, uh, I actually met him in person at another event this weekend. He's, he's one of those guys where he's nice, but he also, uh, like calls bullshit on everybody or like he he has to combat every opinion you have with his opinion right who, who just, is this guy i might know him <laughs> his name's uh andy he uh he works at clown shoe motorsports okay no not the guy i'm thinking of <laughs> okay <laughs> i know that guy no a different yeah. guy yeah. uh and so but anyway that if you ever meet andy you'll just kind of just, oh yeah that is exactly how he's i think he'll even probably admit that to you but uh, before I'd actually met him on person, he was on there saying like, I call, I call bullshit. You know, my thousand dollar system, you know, doesn't even do 18 hertz. It's like, well, okay. I mean, I engineered it to do that. And that's well, at that point, it, it's probably uh, not a hardware constraint. It's just like, well, they didn't program it to do that. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the actual GPS radios out there, uh, the vast majority of them, their limit is 10 hertz. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. And so this one costs a little bit more, uh, but, you know, 18 hertz is its maximum. And there's a newer version of it that actually runs at like 25, I think. Wow. Of course, they're all backordered, but that's kind of on my to-do list is to get that one and evaluate if I can plug it in uh, for kind of like a version two or whatever. But, so this is, but yeah. this is something you're trying to sell now too, right? Yeah. Uh, selling... Yeah, so if you go to that web page and then there's the just the get it button that takes you to the online store. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the the biggest thing is that it's currently Android only. Okay. I'm working with Apple to do it, you know, the right way, but doing it the right way with Apple involves, you know, getting certifications, all this stuff is very complicated. So. Well, I, I'm curious. Um, for something that really just does... Um, like Bluetooth pairing to the device, like how, how do you, like what are the, the software constraints or, or how do you program differently for 
Android or Apple? So the uh, for this unit and most of the units out there, they use something called serial port profile. And so it's been around for ages. That's why pretty much any Android phone can do this. And uh, that was kind of the nice discovery was that for pretty much any Android phone, they connect to serial port and then you give them GPS data and they go like, oh, cool, GPS data. And they just start using it. So there's really not much you have to do to tell it. Like you just have to say connect to GPS sensor and then point to the Hayes GPS and then it just it just works. It parses the data coming out of it and use it just like any other GPS device. Uh, the catch is that for Apple, they consider uh, they don't they don't support. Oh, sorry, for dogs. There's always a dog in our podcast. Always, yeah. Dogs and motorsports, man. I mean, or like somebody <laughs> wrenching on something, there'll be an impact in the background. Yeah. All the Doug Douglas. Yeah. It happens. Uh, but yeah, so. So the G- the Jesus phones are a little bit tougher to uh, to tie into with with uh, external stuff like this. Huh? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly why, but they don't support direct serial port profile because of you know some security thing. Whereas I'm kind of like, okay, so I'm really going to track hack your phone when you're flying around a racetrack. I don't. Well, know. yeah, they. Uh, it sounds like the perfect yeah. time to hack a phone to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it sounds like a cool product, uh, and it's like that's that seems to be. I mean, those apps are like free or five bucks or ten bucks. Like, there's a bunch of them. Um, right. And Android phones, you know, if, if somebody wanted to have a dedicated, like, pretty cheap data logger, go on eBay, buy an old Android phone, get one of your uh, antennas, and uh, you've got uh, sounds like a pretty a pretty motorsports grade setup then. So. Yeah. And it comes with the antennas. So, I mean, all you really need is just a 12 volt adapter and USB cable. Right. You know, I also sell just kind of generic ones on the website. So that way you can get everything there. But I figure most people have a USB micro cable. Um, they definitely, they probably don't have a GPS antenna laying around, but yeah, I mean, I've got people using, they just throw it in their armrest or glove compartment. Uh, another guy with a Miata actually bolted his uh, next to like a, He's got an a, an aftermarket ECU with a data logger, so he just bolted it down next to that. Mm-hmm. I, personally, I've got zip tied to a roll bar, so I mean, as long as you kind of uh, keep strain from pulling on the USB cable, right? Um, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, sounds uh, pretty easy. So, so yeah, uh, uh, how did you get into this? I mean, I know that you said you worked at Cobb Tuning, but like, were you just like tinkering at your house, and you was like, "Well, this is a good idea. I should do this." Uh, more or less. I mean, like I said, like you saw the, <laughs> the, the proof of concept was kind of rough. I actually, the, the first way I did it, cause I was like, oh man, I want all the data. And so I actually made a thing with a, a raspberry Pi and Wi-Fi Cause I was thinking, oh, Wi-Fi is the, you know, going to be the fastest thing. Uh, turns out that phone phones, you know, especially back then have a very difficult time with Wi-Fi networks that don't have internet. So when, you know, Harry's laptop or whatever tries to get the map data or the, the POI list from the internet, and it's trying to do that over a GPS module with no internet, it gets very unhappy. So, okay, well, that won't work. The, that's why this one came around. It's like, okay, well, Bluetooth should be just fine, actually. Um, and so I made this, and it's just kind of in a cardboard box, and then my, my friends at Cobb kept borrowing it. <laughs> like hey dude i got a track we can kind of borrow your cardboard box and that's why it's so smushed is because you know it it got crammed between the roll bar of my car it got crammed into my buddy's camaro 
and we would just pass this thing back and forth. And I was kind of like, okay, well maybe like other people could use this. That's why. And so that's, yeah. Yeah. Everybody wanted to beat up your GPS box. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, well maybe I'll make one that, you know, everyone can, you know, yeah. Grab and beat up. So, so, uh, what does it cost to get into one of these right now? Uh, let's see. Uh, is one fifty nine? Okay. And uh, oh, let's let's make a uh, discount code called podcast. So enter in podcast, and we'll give you a ten percent discount. I'll set that up after this. Oh man, look right at on. you giving, giving, <laughs> giving things away, huh? <laughs> so it pairs to your phone using like the what is it Bluetooth um, standard? What is it for Bluetooth LE or how do, how does it transmit data back to your phone? Uh, it's just Bluetooth Classic, so okay. it's called SPP or Serial Port Profile. Uh, the radio is technically capable of BLE, and that's kind of the uh, the easy way to do Apple. Is that you? The only the only catch with that is that the app has to be looking for it. Okay. So like I worked with Harold and then uh, Harold of Harry's laptop. He's like, oh yeah, just set up to do this, and it'll work with Harry's. But it's kind of you know, I was really trying to keep the whole just, hey, use this, and whatever app you want to use, it'll work. And so we have that for Android, but it would have to be a little little um, more specific for Apple if doing it with the whole certification stuff doesn't quite pan out. Yeah, the, the track community, I love how people, like, uh, they see this little tiny niche, uh, and they're like, I, I think I can build that. There's always some, but there's always some Andrew who, like, <laughs> who sees a hole and tries to build a peg to fit into it. It's, it's For sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, and, that's uh, one of the coolest parts about this community. You know? <laughs> right. And, and speaking of that, you know, the next thing we're working on is a, uh, we are working on kind of an app uh not necessarily for the GPS, but kind of the same idea where, uh, you know, if you've already got something like an OBD dongle or a, uh, you know, this GPS or something different, then you can use the app. Mm -hmm. But uh, just on that same note, you know, a few friends, uh, you know, we're building this E30 endurance car. And it's really old, so it doesn't have any sort of onboard uh you know, network that you can tap into. It definitely doesn't have canvas. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So we're talking about like, okay, well let's make a, uh, make a module and then that will read all of our sensors and report to the phone. But since it's endurance, you know, we want to be able to view that stuff in, in the pit. So that way okay. the driver can, you know, just focus on driving. And then the other three, four of us sitting in the pit can just pull up a web browser or, you know, and th put on a TV, whatever, and then view all that data in real time from the web. So that's kind of what we're working on now is, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we have to walk before we run. So it's going to be a little bit before it's actually publicly available, but that's kind of what we're targeting as a way for people to actually like view that stuff. Like DIY telemetry, you, you put your inputs in and your buddies can see it, huh? Exactly. And, you know, you, fig you figure like, hopefully if we do it right, it'll also be applicable to like driver, driver coaching, you know, and it's really the sky's the limit because there's going to be a web server that's parsing through this stuff. And so, you know, we're, we're also talking about it as far as just like, man, you know, okay, there's a web server. It sees all this data. What can we do with it? And so, I mean, yeah, anybody listening, if you want to reach out to me, it's like, oh man, it would be super awesome if you did this because we're talking about like, 
you've got a user, a track, and you know data from that track. So you could even have it say, uh, "Hey, you know, you're in an E46. You know, your weather's the weather's great. Here's you know a comparable." an average lap time for that car, that track, whatever. Well, okay. What I yeah. think is, is so fun about what you're talking about is the like pro very serious motorsport community has had, you know, this kind of telemetry data for some time now, but it's, it's prohibitively expensive. And so like part of what the grassroots is doing is just like, how can I get most of that for like 5% of the money? Cause that's, that's right, right in my price range. Yeah, and that's exactly and, what this is, right? I yeah, mean, they want to spend two hundred or three hundred dollars, not twenty-two thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, because that's exactly how we came into this. Was we we're like, okay, we have sensors, we want to get them to a thing. Like, all right, so we'll get our sensors and we'll plug them into a thousand-dollar dash. Wait, you know, <laughs> and it's like, so how do we get data without you know dropping thousand dollars on this, thousand dollars on that? Like, it's like we got a phone, we can write an app. Let's just do it. Well, yeah, tablets tablets cost twelve dollars now. So. Right. I think something else that's funny is is maybe it's just because we've been around it for so long and like uh, the the spend sometimes like you you kind of lose touch of. But I remember yeah. when I was just getting into tracking, um, like I at the time was like, man, like the Pro Harry's lap timer is I don't I don't know what the amount was, but I was like, I don't know if I like can even justify spending that, and so it's like. Well, now it's like, well, if you can get something for, you know, X, Y, Z dollars, it's like, well, that's not that bad. Um, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it's just 20, what you're used $22 to. was like prohibitively expensive yeah. 12 years ago. Well, yeah. like at the time, though, yeah. uh, spending that much money on any app was like, well, that's a lot of money. Right. Right. I remember right. buying Race Monitor, our first Lemons race in like 2011. And I was uh, and I was like my first smartphone. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it costs that much a year. Four ninety nine. Are you serious? Yeah, it was like ten bucks or five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I had yeah. I had a car that I got for free. So like the 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 lap. And I literally like when we rolled that thing out of the racetrack besides tires, I think we had like two hundred and fifty dollars into it. So like the app was a large percentage of my budget. <laughs> well, I, I guess, too. I mean, that was that was a while ago. And I don't know for how long Harry's had been around before. For that, but like chucking a bunch of money into an app that you know you do, you don't know a lot about, and you don't know yeah. for how long it'll be around, uh, is different right. than being like, well, like everybody uses Harry's now, and it's been around forever. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's literally been around for like uh, since smartphones came out, almost. You know, so, um, yeah, and updated, and it's so uh, it's like it's uh, it's like so widely what's used. The, um, Everybody has used it or will use it. You know? What's the other app? I think the one that Ferris uses is it Race Chrono. Yeah, Race Chrono. Uh, oh yeah, Ferris that has too. that set up in the big iPad and is um, like in his dash, and yeah. uh, for him it seems to work really well just because like the display is gigantic. So he really yeah. doesn't have to look very hard to see what he needs to do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, he's got, you know, what a, a full billet block, but, uh, in like 2000 horsepower now, but like still using like a $12, uh, Amazon tablet and uh, an app for lap time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if it works, it works. Right. Yeah. Seriously. It's a, you, you get enough GPS data. Uh, it sounds like, uh, it's possible now in lots of ways. Um, so yeah, very cool. So yeah. for how long have you been um, running the website and, like, trying to sell these? Uh, really not that long. So 
trying to think when did I go live? Yeah, it was Nola, you, at Nola. You were like, yeah, we just started selling them. There's a few of them out there. Like it was brand new, and that was only a couple months ago. So yeah, so it's it's a handful of months. I'd have to look and see exactly when. So uh, I I want to know a little bit more about the the intricacies of production, right? Like how do you go from a breadboard to a, you know, a commercial unit? Like what, what were the steps and like, how did you find a manufacturer and like, how did you get them to know exactly what you wanted from them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's kind of where the, you know, you know, I'm really fortunate that I had the the job at Cobb where I was pretty, you know, I was either when I first started, I was one of two electrical engineers and then, the other guy left, so for a while there, it was just me. Uh, so when you say so Cobb, you mean like Cobb in Austin, or were you like at some other HQ? Or uh, Give us a little backstory. Yeah, so uh, Austin is uh, the headquarters location for Cobb. Uh, and for a while, they don't have any more, but they used to have like satellite shops. Uh-huh. Like there, was, there used to be one in Plano. There was one in SoCal. Uh, and then those got, I think, sold to the uh, the managers of those shops. So Cobb kind of moved away from those. But uh, Austin was the headquarters. It actually started at uh, Trey Cobb's. Uh, I want to say it started as Dad's Tire Shop. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, and then they moved to Utah and then down to Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I, I left my job in uh, DFW and came down to Austin because I was like, ah, oh, cars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, and, you know, depending on how familiar you are with Cobb and their products. So uh, Cobb has a, a flex fuel kit. Uh, that was the first project I did with them. So, man, when uh, I had a, uh, I had an O five WRX, I had like the version one Cobb access port, which was yeah, the uh, big display. Oh, like dude, the... it was weird. It was very weird. And then like everybody had version two. And then when I had the Evo, I had the, I had the third version for a while. Um, and that's what we used, um, at the time because there wasn't uh, like a flex fuel option. I had, uh, separate tunes for like E10, right? Like pump gas, E10, E30, E50, E70, and then like E85, E90. Um, and when we took it on one lap of America, I just like, uh, would use the, the ethanol sensor to get a reading once everything had circulated and then just right. like flash the car, which is uh, <laughs> a very dumb way to deal with it. But like, there wasn't a tech solution at the time. That's just what you did. Hey, if it worked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, so the, it's, uh, it's all over my head. Like all of it is everything Abe just said. I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So the, the flexible kit is this little, uh, you know, digital to analog thing that plugs into the, uh, the harness of a Subaru. And so it essentially reads the, the pulse coming out of the sensor and the fuel lines, uh, converts it to an analog value that the ECU can understand. And then there are a bunch of really talented reverse engineers and stuff at Cobb. And then they make custom tables and stuff. So you can actually tune for that ethanol content. Like it, and that's kind of a big misconception that a lot of people have is that, oh, yeah, they just turn it on. Like, no, they actually, like, wrote all this code to tell the ECU how to do this stuff. Right. Yeah, all trial and error stuff, too, to learn what it meant, huh? Well, and, yeah, like, and that's what, uh, uh, some of the flex fuel stuff, I mean, maybe this is out of date now, but, like, you know, if you have a, if you have a tune for 
E85 and you have a tune for pump gas, like the, the software has to do a lot to kind of interpolate what's in the middle, right? Because if you don't get those, uh, those, you know, all or nothing values, it has to know what to do if you're at like E50, right? Right. And so like, there's even like blending from, you know, some of it's just linear from, okay, here's your E10 map and here's your E85. It can blend linearly. Some of them not like I'm not a tuner, but just watching how they implemented all that was crazy. Um, but yeah, so I, I worked to uh, design the harnesses and the, you know, uh, get all, get all that manufactured. That was when I was first getting onto Cobb. And so I was, you know, learning a lot at that point and learning from my, uh, you know, my boss at that time. And then uh, the, the product that I did like from start to finish was uh, called the, the gateway. So if you search like Cobb can gateway, you know, I, I did the uh, schematics for that, the board for that, harnesses for that. And it, it's, you know, in my humble opinion, obviously I'm biased, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, I would say it's probably the best way to do a, a sensor add-on to a car, partly because you don't have to remove anything. Like a lot of kits out there, you have to plug into where the rear O2 sensor used to be or plug into where, you know, whatever used to be. The way the gateway works is that it reads sensor data, so like analog fuel pressure or a digital sensor like the, the fuel the ethanol sensor, and then it translates it to CAN. And so it just taps into the car's CAN bus and then communicates with the ECU that way. So there's no removal. You can have a totally stock GTR that can now run uh, 85 and blend and whatever, and you didn't really have to change anything but the fuel system mods required to run ethanol, right? It's uh, so crazy. Like, it's, I, I guess, um, when when I was originally thinking about Cobb, like, back in the day, you know, it's, it's this uh, performance tuning company, um, but you're, you're an electrical engineer by trade, or I assume that was your undergraduate degree as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, to me, it's interesting to see how like the, the technology aspect has like permeated into this, this automotive, um, aftermarket, so to speak, where like all these electronics are super sophisticated and they're, you know, they're intricately designed and like Adam conversely, Adam's like, man, single cam for life. I don't need any of that technology. <laughs> well, my car does have can now. It's got a got a standalone with some can, so I only have two wires. Well, I guess it's to me. It's just amazing how much the like even in the last ten years, how much technology has changed the performance aftermarket, right? Right. Well, yeah. You figure like, yeah, you know, like <laughs> the Fast and the Furious comes to mind. Where like I, I think of what car what the car scene was like back then with piggybacks and things like that, and now it's just kind of like, oh, you know the. I'll just program the ECU to do that. And to where that's become commonplace is just kind of crazy. Well, and like, of course there's going to be, you know, there are aftermarket ECU options and like for some situations, those are, those are a great choice. But like with a lot of really modern cars, the decision to go to an aftermarket ECU is not without trade-off, right? Because like all the systems are highly integrated and a lot of these like dual uh, dual clutch or automatic transmissions with, um, you know, like yeah, those, those ride height sensors it, it, and all the, you know, the, the you mag rides and all things, that stuff. Yeah. Anytime you yeah. start to take pieces of that away, the, the computer doesn't really seem to like that. Right. And, you know, 
it's very easy to underestimate the amount of things in your car nowadays that are reliant on, you know, what's being transmitted on the bus in a certain kind of way. Especially at the moment I drive a a 2008 Honda Civic SI and I just love it because it's, uh, it like mechanically, it feels very simple. And like, as long as the body doesn't rust to pieces, it will uh, like, it'll be completely serviceable forever. So I'm, right. I'm pretty into that right now. Yeah, that's like the yeah. end of that that whole like uh, era of simplicity, though. You know, it just doesn't. It's not going to keep. It's it's over. You know. Well, talk about like BMW, man. Like the E46 was really kind of the last one. That, yeah, for me, it was. Yeah, it's definitely that line of where things started to get really complicated. It's yeah. Like after that, it was like, oh, you changed your battery. Got to tell the engine computer. Yeah, you better take it back to the computer and plug it into a, or back to the dealer and plug it into a forty thousand dollar computer. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I hate to do this, but my daughter is making a mess, and I need to go save my wife because she's on a video conference all day. So I'll let you nerds talk about nerd things. All right, we can do a little nerd stuff. I think I got time for some nerd stuff. You guys um, can do nerd stuff, and then maybe we do a, maybe do a quick track break or a breakdown on his uh, on his car. But uh, I'll try to be back in a few minutes. But right now, I can sense that there is some screaming happening above me. <laughs> all right, Uh-oh. so um, I'll try to be back. <laughs> yeah, just just stay on the line and put yourself on mute or whatever. No. Um, so uh, I want to talk about um, your product. And what I would like to know, and this is the, the decision is up to you, tell me about like a, a specific aspect of the development that was very hard and like how you uh, found a solution to that problem. Uh, so, you know, whenever I work on any product, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very big believer of the keep it simple, stupid rule, the kiss rule. So in general, if I run into something where it's like, man, that's really complex, my default reaction is just, okay, well, how can we just simplify this? Um, But some things are just, you know, they're complicated and they shouldn't be, but they just are. Uh, One of the things that I found uniquely, uh, I'm not sure why this was difficult. (laughs) You would think it'd be very easy, but essentially, the modules talk to, you know, there's a processor on there and uh, it does a lot of stuff with UART. So just serial data. And it's a super common thing. And everything talks serial. It's just one of the most oldest, most basic communication protocols out there. But there, it was surprisingly like it took more time than I expected to write the code to uh, the kind of, mid-level code to actually transmit and receive on UART. I got it working, I got it working really well, but to get it to where it would just, you know, talk at, I forget what, you know, at a, a high, fast enough baud rate for all this GPS data without any sort of gaps or garbage, you know, communication, took longer than I expected. Cause I mean, uh, just there's, there's a lot of stuff that the, uh, the mid-level drivers and things from the manufacturer just don't quite do. So I was, yeah. Um, but anyway, I worked around that. The, uh, I, I actually switched microprocessor manufacturers because I wasn't very happy with, uh, like the first model I went with the, the capabilities it had for UART. It was just one character, a one character buffer. 
And so like, hey, you got an interrupt because you got one single character. And so if you didn't process that in time, it was very easy to mess it up. It's like, seriously, like this is all the capability you have. Uh, and so I switched to a different manufacturer and then they had a much better uh, kind of, but you know, much better interface for transmitting and receiving uh, different interrupt capabilities for, you know, detecting the end of a message, things like that. And so that's, that's part of how I worked around that. It was just like, you know, this is dumb. I'm not going to keep fighting with this and potentially cause issues for people. I'm just going to, you know, it's not too, too late to switch platforms to a different process that can do this stuff. So easier. Um, kind of from that, as you, as you move out of the cardboard box and you start to get some prototype units and now uh, even a commercial product, um, I, I don't think, and unless you tell me otherwise, this isn't your full-time thing currently. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so like, what is, uh, you know, what does that first order feel like? And like, how many units do you need to buy to like make it worth the effort for whatever company to produce them for you? Like, is that just like a, a big chunk of money out of your pocket? Yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately it's just kind of a, a big chunk of money, especially at first. Right. Uh, and so one of the things that, you know, I learned to do way back when, uh, is just, you know, try, if possible, make the prototypes by hand. I actually have a small reflow oven. So essentially, you know, it solders everything at once. Okay. And so, you know, I'm not sure if you know how uh, PCBs are assembled, but essentially they go through what's called a pick and place machine. And so uh, the board goes through, it gets what's called solder paste, which is little tiny beads of solder uh, put on the exact little pads of the board. And the pick and place machine has a little robotic nozzle that picks up the parts and then places them on the board. Hence the and name. And it goes, pardon? Hence the name. Yeah, exactly. Hence the name. Uh, but it goes really fast. Like it can put, you know, hundred part, parts down in the blink of an eye. And then it goes through an oven where everything gets heated up and soldered all at once. And that's how, you know, pretty much all modern boards are made. Uh, if you're doing it by hand, I am the pick and place machine. <laughs> a little bit slower. Uh, yeah. And so essentially, you know, I, for prototypes and stuff, I can use tweezers and put it together and then reflow it. And then that way I can tell you, okay, the board works, everything's great. And then I can actually send it to a manufacturer and say like, I would like to buy 10 of these, you know, <laughs> oh, man. please be nice. And so luckily I have, you know, contacts from you know, my old job, and so I, you know, they're like, oh, it's Andrew, you know. <laughs> well, at that point, like at, let's say 10 units are, do you, do you kind of need that existing relationship just to get them to say yes or like, or get them to say yes at a price that like is feasible? Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, most of the, because even large companies, they do small runs to manufacturers at, you know, 10, 20 unit volume. And it's, Honestly, a good idea to do that, even if you're at a big company, just so that you know that uh, once they set up that process for that board, that you're not going to have any surprises. Like you don't want to have your first order with a company at you know a thousand pieces, because then when you get a thousand pieces back, and then something's backward. Oh no! Oh, oh crap! Yeah. So yeah, they they're accustomed to ten unit orders and things like that. It's more just as you kind of just like ramp up, I guess. Right. 
Um, so yes, yeah, so we're still very much in the ramp up phase. Gotcha. But. Well, I like, um, I'm sure you know that, uh, Adam and I have a really close relationship with, uh, the, the people at apex pro and their unit is, um, different than yours. Cause it's doing a whole lot of, of things differently. But a, I think an interesting difference between the two is, uh, at the moment they're Apple only and you at the moment are Android only. So it's like, you guys, right. you guys should, uh, date. <laughs> sure. Um, so okay so like um the the two um data logging systems that i know that work for your phone are harry's and race chrono what else what else do people sometimes use like uh i think hp tuners has it has a uh, has an app now i've personally used harry's and race chrono but I think the the HP Tuners one is starting to become more popular. Gotcha. And so, like, I, I can't remember the name of it. Is I'm I'm interested. Obviously, people on the road course will use something like this all the time. Um, mm-hmm. are, are there other examples where people would want this kind of data logging capability that aren't road course? Like, where else would you use this? There are some apps specific for autocross. I mean. As long as we're still talking cars, uh, you know, and it would definitely be beneficial for autocross. Uh, and honestly, other people use these kind of GPS devices for apps that, you know, on aircraft, Interesting. things like that were because, you know, you figure you're moving several hundred miles an hour in an aircraft and the more hurts. Especially the if it's, yeah, exactly. That's what, and, you know, I think, uh, from my limited understanding with that industry, a lot of people are still kind of the same route where it's like, yeah, I have a small, you know, hobby aircraft, but, uh, you know, even though the aircraft itself is the stuff for it's expensive, you know, I try, I don't spend the money if I don't have to. So, well, I I think you might be interested in that that HP tuners, uh, software you're talking about. That's track addict, I think. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, you might not know this, Andrew, but uh, Adam's brother is building an experimental aircraft, and I think it, it's uh, it's a non-instrumented. Um, no, it's fully instrumented. Oh, it's instrumented yeah. now. It's, it actually has a better. Uh, it's got a better Garmin system than like the average seven thirty seven. That's funny. oh wow, <laughs> it's crazy. So did you, uh, yeah, did you did you fix your messy crisis, Adam? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We're good here. At least for another five minutes. Right now, she, right, now right, right now Emma's uh packing up to go camping with her Barbies. It's four degrees outside. I don't know where she's going, but she's yeah. So we're into this one for about forty minutes. Um you mentioned at the beginning of the show the website is called Hayes Eng. It's H A Z E E N G dot com. Um if you use the promo code podcast, you can get a discount on the purchase of a GPS. Do you do anything on other social where people can see, I don't know, the uh, the, the down and dirty parts of, of building something like this from scratch? Uh, no, but I mean, we could. I mean, it, it's uh, we posted a little bit of it and there's kind of, uh, but honestly, we're, we're new enough to the point where it's just, a lot of stuff like that I haven't even thought about. So, yeah, we totally could. And like I said, re- feel free to, you know, reach out to us on the, the contact page and say like, oh, man, I want to see blank. Or it'd be cool if you guys did blank because we're in that kind of early phase where we're really trying to learn what our customers want to do next. Like we're we're doing things like the app 
because we need it, but we also want to cater to our customers. And, you know, obviously the biggest thing that we're trying to tackle now is Apple support. Cause we've had a lot of people say like, man, give me Apple and I will buy it. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's really just like, if people want to see the ins and outs of how we put together prototypes, things like that. Sure. All right. So we're going to, uh, wrap up the main episode here and then we'll do a lunch breakdown for the Patreon listeners. So we're going to talk a little bit about your personal car and what you like to do with it. So if you're interested in that, please join us on Patreon. Thank you to, uh, our, our primary partners for the show, uh, FCP Euro and Apex Pro. Uh, we love you guys and we think you're awesome. If you're not buying stuff from them, you definitely should. And uh, we'll talk to you guys here again real soon. Yeah, appreciate it, Andrew. Yeah, thanks everybody. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pit City Grid Live to say hello. Hello.